Hello and welcome to this IGCSE English Literature Poetry Podcast on Search for My Tongue by Sujata Bhatt. So what is this poem about? Um, as always, we will start with that, um, the W of waft. Um, so it is about um, a speaker who's concerned about losing um, her first language and her um, what, what is known as the mother tongue, um, i.e. the language that you first learn to speak. Um, and Sujata Bhatt, the poet, um, uh, first learnt Gujarati as a baby in India, but um, in studying um, English in America, she feared that she would lose that connection to her original culture and language and heritage. So um, so it's about that. It's about a concern of kind of losing that connection to your language and through that, your identity and your culture. Um, so make sure you've got that down, first of all. Um, and um, the, um, obviously the A of waft is, are there any ambiguities? Um, so um, I think the main ambiguity in this poem is um, uh, uh, to what extent um, the speaker's recovery of her original language is um, something that we kind of genuinely believe um, that she... Um, that she can can find and that she can claim or um or whether it's because she describes it as a dream whether it's um something that's more kind of wishful um uh ideal rather than the reality so um so i think that's one thing that's ambiguous kind of to what extent are we left feeling that that um someone can genuinely um, kind of hold on to their original language or whether that's more of an ideal than the reality. Um, I think it's also ambiguous um, to what extent the speaker is um, kind of criticising the um, the new language as something that seems to kind of take over from the old language because um, she does use some quite um, grotesque imagery to describe the... Um, uh, to describe the way that one language seems to take over another. So, um, so is she condemning um, kind of Western language and Western culture for um, for taking over and becoming dominant, or um, or is it is it simply that she's um, she's just kind of reflecting on that that's what happens and it's not a condemnation of that. So, um, so make sure you've got that down as an ambiguity as well as um, ambiguous kind of to what extent she seems to be condemning or criticizing kind of Western um, taking the Western language and culture taking over. Um, and then obviously the next thing to think about is the form and structure, the F of waft. Um, and um, if you look at this poem, you'll probably notice that um, there's no fixed rhythm or rhyme scheme. It's in free verse, um, which gives it a very um, conversational feel. Um, and that uh, it's as if the speaker's kind of speaking directly to the reader she uses you um uh to do that as well um and so that use of the second person and the um the free verse conversational style um uh, 
uh, helps us as the reader to kind of connect with and um, and feel an affinity with the speaker. Um, you'll also probably notice that structurally um, there's a stanza in uh, Gujarati in the middle of the poem um, uh, with a stanza in English either side. Um, and that stanza in Gujarati um, also um, has the... Uh, the lines more spaced out than in the other two stanzas and that emphasizes the idea of the original language the mother tongue um uh being kind of powerful and dominant and something that cannot be um repressed or or restricted um so i think that's a a structurally important thing that the speaker does as well um and Finally, the title, um, Search for My Tongue. So um, the tongue is, a, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, alludes to the phrase mother tongue. Um, and it's a metonym um, for language and the way of speaking. So, so the title, Search for My Tongue, suggests that the, um, it implies that the speaker has lost their language and their way of speaking and they need to refind it and rediscover it. Um, and um, in the poem, the tongue um, uh, is used um, in a kind of very literal sense of, of the um, the thing that is in your mouth, um, as well as being obviously the, uh, to create a sense of the struggle that it um, that is experienced when you have um, more than one language, give a sense of a natural sort of physical struggle, um, as well as obviously being a metonym for language and way of speaking. So make sure you've got that down for waft. Um, and then um, take your three different coloured highlighters um, for our three sub-themes. So the first sub-theme, um, which I've given yellow, although you can give any colour you like, is um, the way that Bat uses images of loss and decay to present the difficulties of having a divided identity. So make sure you've got that down for the first sub-theme um, and give it a colour. Bat uses images of loss and decay to present the difficulties of having a divided identity. Um, your second sub-theme is the way that the speaker addresses the reader directly, encouraging them to empathise um, uh, with the difficulties of multiple languages and also claims her own voice. So make sure you've got that down. The second sub-theme, the speaker addresses the reader directly, encouraging them to empathise with the struggles of having um, more than one language and claims her own voice and her own language. And then the final sub-theme is the poet uses vivid, positive images to reassert their pride in recovering their natural identity and language, seeing as it as something to be celebrated. Okay, so make sure you've got that down um, for the third sub-theme. The poet uses vivid, positive images to reassert their pride in recovering their natural identity and seeing it as something to be celebrated. Okay, so um, let's think about that first sub-theme, um, the idea of the images of loss and decay. So um, the first thing to highlight is the second half of the second line, I have lost my tongue. So um, as we mentioned earlier, the tongue is the metonym for the language you first learn to speak and a defining part of your identity. And therefore the metaphor, I have lost my tongue, suggests that the, um, the speaker has um, become disconnected from her original language and the um, the identity that it's connected with. 
with. And in particular, the verb lost is um, something that happens by accident. Um, it's not something that you do deliberately. And therefore, um, the verb lost insinuates that this language has sort of has disappeared um kind of accidentally as a result of circumstances we can infer the circumstances of speaking English a lot mean that um the Gujarati language has just kind of faded from um from her life so um so that's the first image of um loss and decay and then um it's reinforced in lines five to seven, where she says, you lost the first one, the mother tongue, and could not really know the other, the foreign tongue. So obviously, when we think of a mother, we think of them being caring, nurturing, um, someone that um, provides for us and keeps us safe. So therefore, um, the metaphor of the mother tongue kind of implies that that first language should be something that we're fundamentally fundamentally connected to and that kind of that nurtures us um so the image of losing it losing the first one the mother tongue um uh gives a sense of um uh a sort of grief or um kind of sadness that um that that original language is something that we can become disconnected from um when it should be something that's so integral to who we are and kind of and what we are and our identity and and she says could not really know the other the foreign tongue so um so that negation um, that you could not really know the other suggests that there's a lack of um, of belonging. Um, so um, it, it personifies the the English language. Um, if you can't really know it, it makes it seem like a stranger. And that kind of personification um, emphasizes the sense that um, you'd of disconnection because you're disconnected from the mother tongue but you're also disconnected from the new language um and um notice you've got the foreign tongue on its own line um which structurally reinforces um the sense that the new language is something um, alien. The adjective foreign um, reinforces the sense of kind of alienation that the speaker feels from this new language, English, and um, and therefore gives a sense of kind of, of isolation and, and this feeling of a kind of liminal state being stuck between the two languages. Um, and then the imagery becomes more grotesque in lines 12 to 15. So she says, your mother tongue would rot, rot and die in your mouth until you had to spit it out. I thought I spit it out. So um, make sure you've got um, those lines highlighted for this sub theme as well. So the image, the kind of very grotesque imagery, um, your mother tongue would rot, rot and die in your mouth with the um, repeated um, verb rot, um, makes us imagine uh, the mother tongue kind of literally decaying. Um, uh, and becoming unusable. It makes us imagine um, the mother tongue being kind of like meat that's gone bad or um, a sort of a carcass or something like that. Um, and I think the speaker deliberately uses such a kind of revolting, grotesque image here because she wants to um, 
to imagine she wants us, us as the reader to imagine what it must be like having rotting meat in our mouths um in order to make us empathize with how horrible it is to feel um your own language kind of um sort of metaphorically dying and becoming something that you're um that you don't enjoy anymore um and um it, it's a kind of such a kind of disgusting image that that we can and such a distasteful one that we can um that we can imagine the kind of the horror that she feels so it evokes a strong sense of horror and kind of disgust and repulsion um uh, that um, that makes us the reader empathize with the um how awful it is um to lose your original language um and um obviously the repeated phrase spit it out um emphasizes that um that there's kind of no choice or it feels as if there's no choice but to um reject this original language because it feels like it's something that's dying it's something that you're not connected to anymore um and notice she says um uh, she says um you had to spit it out so the verb had suggests that the um the speaker um kind of feels like there's no choice that there's no autonomy um that that it's a necessity um that because this other language is taking over kind of rejecting the original language is a necessity um and um and obviously, again, it's a very evocative image. We as the reader can empathise with the idea of something being so disgusting that we have to spit it out. And um, and therefore we can um, we can empathise with the kind of the horror that she feels. Um, and then the last quote to highlight for this um, sub-theme is a more positive one. Um, in... Uh, lines 36 to 37 so the penultimate lines of the poem she says every time I think I've forgotten I think I've lost the mother tongue so um uh, so um obviously the um the verbs forgotten and lost um suggest the sense that um of disconnection that we've seen before with the um with the original um uh with the uh, original language um but notice here you've got the repeated verb think every time i think i've forgotten i think i've lost which contrasts to the confident declarative i have lost my tongue in line 2 and um suggests that even when we f- we feel this disconnection it's not true that the verb think insinuates that it's just an illusion we can always refine the um the original language so um so it's much more of a kind of positive um sense that the loss of the original language is just an illusion um, at the end of the poem. So make sure you've got those points down for the first sub-theme and then take um, your different coloured highlighter um, for the second sub-theme, which remember is the speaker addresses the reader directly, encouraging them to empathise with what it's like having more than one language as well as claiming her own voice. So the first thing to highlight is the opening of the poem. You ask me what I mean by saying. So, um, so straight away that starting with the second person pronoun you establishes a conversational um 
uh, feel to the poem as if she's kind of she's talking directly to the reader um so but the the first opening line you ask me what i mean is structurally significant because although she's speaking to the reader the phrase you ask me what i mean implies that the reader doesn't understand her um and the reader can be um kind of also aligned with society so it suggests that um uh, that um, society kind of doesn't understand the speaker's struggle and doesn't um, doesn't really recognise it, um, and obviously it's structurally significant um, that this is the opening line of the poem because she wants to then go on and um, allow us to understand what she in fact means um, by the difficulties. So. Um, uh, so straight away, it's kind of establishing that she's trying to explain and get us as the reader to understand. Um, and notice then in lines uh, three to four, she turns it back round and reverses the opening question. So the opening question you ask me becomes, I ask you. And um, uh, that's, um, that reversal of the opening line, um, I when she says, I ask you, what would you do? And the use of second person pronouns suggests that she's trying to get the reader to empathise with and understand um, what it's like to speak more than one language. So, um, so in the opening, we didn't have that empathy, but she's asking us to try and, and gain that empathy and try and put ourselves in her position. And that's reinforced um, in line four, if you had two tongues in your mouth. And um, obviously this is a metaphor because you can't literally, well, mm, I'm not going to go there. I was thinking about ways you could in which could in fact have two tongues in your mouth, but we're not going to go there because uh, we're staying PG on this podcast. Um, but, um, but it's a very evocative image having two tongues in your mouth. Um, and we imagine it as something that would be um, quite difficult Um uh, we can imagine being the mouth feeling too full. It's almost like you're choking on the languages, the, the two different ways of speaking. Um, it feels quite uncomfortable. And therefore, um, that evocative image serves to um, encourage the reader to imagine the difficulties of trying to speak in more than one language and um, and how that doesn't feel kind of neat or natural. Um, and that's reinforced in lines... Um, uh, nine to eleven, she says, "You could not use them both together." So that uh, blunt negation, um, you could not use them both together, and and then the juxtaposition um, uh, between um, that declarative and the next one, even if you thought that way, um, encourages us to kind of um, to um, empathise with the difficulty um, of trying to um, uh, trying to blur their multiple identities so um so the the negation you could not use them both together um emphasizes how it's impossible to speak simultaneously in the and uh, the two languages because it would just come out as nonsense as gibberish um so um but so you you have to make a choice you have to um uh, you have to choose one language or the other. Um, but that's juxtaposed with the declarative, even if you thought that way, which insinuates that um, the speaking 
um, that the speaker's forced to do doesn't correlate with her kind of inner life. It doesn't correlate with the, her thoughts and um, the way that she processes the world. So um, so it encourages the reader to empathise with the difficulties because um, the speaker can never use language to kind of reflect how life really feels to her because life feels in more than one language. Life, or life Her thoughts are processed in more than one language. Um, and then in line 10, she kind of furthers this um, this appeal for empathy. Um, she says, and even if you lived in a place, you had to speak a foreign tongue. So um, notice she begins with the conjunction and, which usually connects two parts of a sentence rather than introducing a sentence. So to use to start the sentence with the conjunction gives a sense of kind of, of urgency um, that each kind of thought is part of this sort of this bigger internal monologue of distress. Um, and if you lived in a place you had to speak a foreign tongue, those declaratives make us imagine um, being in her situation um, where you have no choice but to speak a language other than the one you learned at birth. Um, notice the the verb had, you had to speak in a foreign tongue, um, suggests a sense of necessity and obligation that um, she encourages us to imagine not having a choice about how we speak. Um, um, even though the adjective foreign, obviously, Obviously, emphasizes that um, that it's something that feels alien and different, and um, and then the final thing to highlight for this sub theme is the whole kind of middle stanza where it goes into Gujarati and um, the um, and the sense of the phonetic spellings. Um, uh, underneath, um, or, or rather, phonetic pronunciation, kind of how to how to say these words in Gujarati. So, um, obviously, at first glance, this looks very kind of strange and and alienating to us as the reader. But that's why she uses the phonetic pronunciation in brackets or parentheses, if you want the fancy word, um, because she wants us to um, to know how to pronounce these words out loud. Um, obviously, because we can't read the Gujarati. So, um, so why does the speaker have this whole middle stanza um, with these guides on how to um, pronounce the words that she's written? Well, firstly, she's in, again encouraging empathy. She's inviting the reader to kind of literally speak her language, to kind of speak her her mother tongue, um, and to to kind of empathise with how those words might feel, um, um, and. Uh, and kind of what it might be like to say them. And also symbolically, it's emphasising how that language has not in fact died. Um, it's by having it at right at the centre of the poem, um, on kind of dominating on the page, she wants to um, kind of emphasise to the reader that that language is still very much um, alive and part of her identity, in fact, the centre of her identity um, sort of literally and symbolically, um, and um, so she's emphasising how the mother tongue is irrepressible. It's something that we can't um, uh, we can't push away. We can't push down. It will it will always be there, and it will always be um, kind of central to us. And um, also, you could argue that it's a kind of a real celebration of the Gujarati language, um, because of the way that she's. Um, 
she's literally getting us to to hear those words and how they sound and she's getting us to imagine what it is like to be able to be bilingual and how lovely that language is and so that we again um empathize with um not not wanting to lose that language wanting to hold on to it and um, and if you're wondering what those words mean the final stanza is the literal translation of them and um you'll notice that when we get to the final stanza that the imagery of it is very positive and kind of beautiful um so um so as well as it kind of um being a celebration of the the language sort of just literally on the page the imagery is very celebratory um and and positive in terms of the beauty of it and so make sure you've got that those things down for the second sub theme and then finally um we want to think about the third sub theme the um, vivid positive images in kind of suggesting um the pride of sort of refinding the language and the identity that it's connected with so um so take your third highlighter for that and the first thing to highlight is the very end of the first stanza overnight while i dream so um uh, so this um, signals a volta because it contrasts to the whole of the first stanza where the two languages or the two tongues seem to be um, uh, in conflict and there seems to be a sense of kind of grotesque, unpleasant imagery. Um, but the conjunction but um, and the verb dream um, signals a volta because it's becoming more positive um, at this point. And... Um, a dream is often obviously something that you, uh, where you see the ideals um, uh, and um, where you see kind of life as you wish it to be. And psychologists believe that repressed wishes or desires return to us in dreams. So, um, so therefore, um, if we take that interpretation from a psychoanalytical perspective, um, the and um, the verb dream suggests that um, the repressed desire for the original language and the original culture um, uh, is returning to the speaker sort of through her subconscious. Okay, so even though she's consciously trying to speak another language, um, she cannot subconsciously repress that original language. Um, and then the next thing to highlight is the, um, the start of the final stanza. It grows back a stump of a shoot so um uh, so obviously the verb grows um which then is repeated in the next line grows longer um is a kind of a celebratory image of the language because it suggests the language is flourishing and developing um it can't be suppressed it can't be restricted um and a stump of a shoot is a positive image because um a shoot is something um that um uh, although tiny, um, it's something that um, a, a whole kind of plant will flourish from, or a whole flower. So, um, so the image of the stump of the shoot suggests that this language has not, in fact, um, kind of died, but um, but uh, will be able to kind of to flourish and develop. And um, also, you notice you've got the sibilance there, a stump of a shoot, um, that maybe suggests the kind of the softness of the kind of gentleness of the um, of the language as it's refound. And in the second line, we've got that repetition of the verb grows, grows longer, grows moist, grows strong veins, um, and that repetition um, emphasizes how the language is. Um, 
becoming more and more full of life. It's becoming more and more um, strong and powerful um, for the speaker as she starts to refine her original language. And um, notice each of the things in that triadic structure. So grows longer, obviously suggests it's kind of, it's um, more and more words are coming back to her and there's more kind of complexity. Um, if you're thinking about this as a metaphor of a plant or a flower, um, the, the adjective moist is something that, that it needs to flourish and grows. So it's got these kind of perfect conditions and grows strong veins um, Obviously, the veins carry the nutrients to it, so it furthers the sense of it as being something that um, uh, that is thriving and that is flourishing. Um, and um, in the next line, it says it ties the other tongue in knots. So, um, so that image um, makes us imagine that the the language and that the new language um, has suddenly. Um, uh, lost control it's lost power that if your tongue's in knots you literally you know it literally can't can't speak um it's stuck and so that metaphor suggests that the um that the the language of english is um has become kind of less powerful than it was and then in contrast in lines 34 to 35 it says the bud opens the bud opens in my mouth it pushes the other tongue aside so um so this contrast to uh, the previous imagery in the first stanza of rotten meat which is very kind of gr- grotesque and disgusting um instead here the repeated noun bud um makes the language seem like a flower um something that's going to bloom and and become beautiful um so so it's a very positive image of the the other language kind of um reasserting its natural place in the um in the speaker's kind of mouth and in her life um and um and obviously the verb opens the bud opens the bud opens in my mouth suggests that this um this language is um uh, is developing and um, and becoming prominent and powerful, and obviously the verb pushes it pushes the other tongue aside, emphasizes how the the second language is um, in contrast losing dominance and and becoming um, less powerful, and um, and then the final line of the poem is it blossoms out of my mouth, um, so blossoms obviously is a very positive verb emphasizing um a flower opening up in a kind of beautiful state um and usually blossoms represents kind of hopefulness and new life um and therefore and uh, that final image seems to be a positive one of um the new uh, new life being found in the original language and the culture and the sense that it is thriving rather than dying however as we mentioned earlier it's quite ambiguous um, um, because um, she says that this happens overnight while she dreams. So um, so it's ambiguous whether um, she really recovers the original language in real life um, or whether um, she dreams in Gujarati and therefore she's always connected to it on a subconscious level or whether... Um, it's more of a kind of an idealization of what she wants to happen with the language, but doesn't actually happen in reality. So it's up to you how you interpret that um, that 
although it seems a triumphant positive ending, it's up to you whether um, you read it as completely kind of positive or whether it's more of an idealization of what the speaker wishes could happen. And um, so let's just think about personal responses um, for a minute and deeper meaning. So put that as a subtitle in your notes. So, um, so first of all, we could say that we're uh, made to sympathize or empathize with um, how difficult it must be to speak more than one language. We're prompted to recognize how it feels like a conflict within yourself um, that's very difficult um, and hard to deal with. So, uh, so that's our first um, potential personal response that we're prompted to recognize and sympathize with how difficult it must be to speak more than one language. Um, we could also say that um, uh, we're prompted to um, uh, to question um, uh, kind of cultural identity and whether um, uh, whether people can be kind of genuinely multicultural and and um, have more than one culture that defines them, or whether that always feels like a um, a sense of a battle, and whether it always feels like one um, one culture is kind of dominating over another. Um, we could also say that the um, the very positive imagery prompts us to recognise how it's important and valuable to embrace your language and your culture, and not to forget it or assume that um, one language or culture is superior. Um, we could also say that we're prompted to recognize that your mother tongue, the language and culture that you first speak is the one that you feel tied to and that you can't separate yourself from that. Um, and maybe more broadly, we could say that we're prompted to question the extent to which language defines who we are and whether we have to hold on to language um, as a sense of something that forms and contributes to our identity. So make sure you've got down those um personal responses and deeper meaning and um, if you're thinking about what poems this compares to I would say the best one to compare it to is half cast because both of those are about um, identity and um, struggles with identity and being kind of judged on it and trying to reclaim a sense of that identity so um, that's the poem I would definitely compare this to is half cast and um, thank you very much for listening I hope you found that useful and do join me for another poetry podcast very soon thank you <laughs>